So what's kind of interesting is that there are strains of fungi that are actually parasites of the rust parasite. So we call them hyperparasites yeah. because they're parasites of parasites. And so what it's they just do... just turtles all the way down. I can't think of any more human activity than conducting science experiments. The game I play is a very interesting one. It's imagination in a tight straitjacket. The beauty of a living thing is not the atoms that go into it, but the way those atoms are put together. What I always think should be the basis of education is not answers, but questions. We should teach kids how to question. My name is Michelle Moffat. Um, I'm a senior lecturer at Western Sydney in microbiology. So I guess my current research is in looking at fungi. So we're interested in, in small molecules that these fungi produce and, and what their, their effect is on, on other microbes. Mm. Um, so we're looking for compounds that may be antifungal so they might kill other fungi or antibacterial, so they might kill bacteria. So um, that's what we look at um, at the moment. But it's kind of a deviation of, of where I've come from, really. Right, <laughs> that's interesting. That, okay, so um, just going back in time, walk us through, or, or maybe you can... Um, so you said you, it's deviation from where you came from. Yeah, so, so the next logical question is, <laughs> where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I, I'm not actually a mycologist. I never really looked, did fungi before, never researched fungi before. Um, so originally I, I've, I've always sort of worked on bacteria and more specifically I've worked on cyanobacteria, which are photosynthetic bacteria. Right. People call them blue-green algae sometimes. You might hear them called that um, because, you know, if you look at them under a microscope, they look like algae, um, but they're not actually um, eukaryotic their bacteria. So um, I was looking at toxins that are made by cyanobacteria when they bloom. And so that's where I started my research journey is, is looking at cyanobacteria. That's cool. What, if, let's like maybe even go back further than that. Um, mm -hmm. Were you always interested in science? Yeah. 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 <laughs> How did that happen? So basically um, I have a pretty good memory of this when I went to high school you know, year seven, first science lab, we go and sit in the lab and there's a sink and there's a, and a tap and a Bunsen burner and we boiled water and I was like, oh, this is cool. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> Work in a lab, boiling water over a Bunsen burner. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's interesting because when um, 
I think I've always been interested in science, not not even knowing it. But when I first went into high school, year seven, um, I walked into my chemistry. Oh, there was just a science lab, I suppose. And I remember that night going home and having a dream of uh, me being in a lab coat in that exact <laughs> same science class. Yeah. I remember I was building A2 um, and I was just mixing chemicals. I'm like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could never understand that people found that boring. Like, yeah. I, well, I'll tell you how. <laughs> no, I went into high school like really loving science and kind of been really interested in how the world works, but I, I kind of got turned off. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, in high school. It was, it was a lot of like just fact learning for me and yeah. it just wasn't interesting, possibly the way it was taught. But Yeah, I think teachers yeah. are a big, big thing. So I had some pretty amazing teachers in high school um some uh, a really good chemistry teacher a great physics teacher and they really had a passion for what they were doing and and i think that rubbed off on me as well yeah i think if it was boring i i probably would have lost that passion for me there was there was too much of, yeah here's the textbook and we have mm. to learn all these facts and be able to reproduce them in the exam and there wasn't yeah. enough yeah. like science as a method and yeah. use it like we did the whole i remember just having to like write out methods by rote off the board yeah uh, yep. and then go and do the experiment now <laughs> yeah. and then just write up results and there was like paid like pages and pages of writing just in every yeah. science lesson and i'm like what am I doing? I'm just copying stuff off a board. That was yeah. my high school science. Yeah. Uh, so, and I didn't do science for the HSC because of that. And so, right. yeah, it really oh, changes. Yeah. Yeah. One of my my high school teachers had actually done honours mm. after her degree. Oh, so wow. I think, you know, that's something that is really positive for high school teachers. I think if they can kind of have a bit of experience in research themselves, I think that would, you know, get them more enthusiastic for their for their subject and, and pass mm. that on to their yeah. students as yeah, well. Yeah, I suppose it gives them a better understanding of science mm. and how it's actually done versus yeah, yeah. going through an undergrad in science, for instance, and just, oh, these are some facts, these are some biochemistry, yeah. here's some microbiology. Yep. You don't really get an appreciation of, oh, how did these people actually find out these facts? Mm. What were the approaches? What was the process like? I think that's really important, those stories, um, and, and it gives context to the facts themselves and makes yeah, it more interesting. Right. So you were interested in science, but how did you get involved in microbiology and, and what took you in, like brought you to microbiology? Well, that's Obviously <laughs> not the smell, right? <laughs> Actually, it's funny you say that because that just brings a memory to my mind that I hadn't thought about for a long time. But when I was in high school, I did a... Um, you know that you do work experience and I did work experience in a lab and and this woman was testing the sterility of of the work environment or whatever and and every morning she would make the the agar and it just smelled so bad yeah <laughs> but actually I've forgotten about it <laughs> so it didn't turn me off um but then when I um was finishing high school I kind of wanted to do research into uh, pharmaceuticals. Oh. I wanted to discover new drugs and things like that. And um, I kind of thought, well, maybe I should do pharmacy as a degree. And I talked to some pharmacists, you know, at the uni open day and some science people and the science people said, don't do pharmacy, you'll find it really boring. <laughs> and so I went and worked in a pharmacy and I was like, yeah, <laughs> 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 pharmacy is not for me. So. <laughs> 
Oh, I just did a straight science, advanced science mm, yeah. degree. And um, I, I went into pharmacology, so that was my major. Mm. But all the, the pracs that we did in undergrad were on animals, and I didn't like that. Right. And I did micro as kind of a you know, sub-major. Right. And I realized, oh, no one cares if, if you order clove a bunch of bacteria and they die. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah micro was more my speed. Yeah, that's what, that, yeah. Well, I have a few friends that do work on rats and they have to euthanize them. Yeah. And it's just really depressing. They're, they're like, is. this is the most depressing stuff. Like, you have to go and kill these rats or mice or whatever. Yeah. And so there's definitely, um, yeah, an ethical load that you have to carry yeah, when you're doing yeah. that type of work. Whereas with microbes, even cells, we work with cells. And we're like, yeah, yeah. Okay, we just yeah, abuse yeah. them. So, yeah, okay, microbiology was basically a way for you to do research and uh, but not necessarily do work on animals. Yeah. Um, or I shouldn't say research. On, yeah, on uh, fungi, you mean. Yeah. Not do work, sorry. Go on. Not work on, yeah. on actually, you just said yeah, animals. Yeah. And Alex needs to pay attention no, no, to what you're leading to. Uh, funny. No, no, not yeah. yet, not yet, not yet. Because <laughs> you went from an advanced science degree yeah. into, I'm assuming, an honors. Yeah. Okay, um, and why did you do that? Is it because you were interested in actually, so how did that actually, actually that's, how did that fit with your initial idea of wanting to develop drugs? Or well, I guess at that stage, at the end of third year, I sort of, um, I knew I wanted to do research. I knew, well, basically, I, would, I just wanted to work in a lab. That was really my goal in life, was, was I wanted to work in a lab. So um, I, I wanted to do honours. I guess it was part of the advanced science degree anyway. It was You just did honours at the end. And um, I, I kind of scoped out a few academics at the uni where I was at, and, and uh, I ended up just in a lab that was working on these cyanobacteria. Um, so actually, when I was doing my undergrad, I wasn't an ACE student. I was... <laughs> um, so for anybody out there who's doing their degree and not getting straight HDs, that's okay. Yeah. Um, not You don't have to be a HD yeah. student to be a good scientist, I mm. think. Um, but I wasn't the best student, so I wasn't taken by the best professors and so I ended up in a in a lab with a young guy he was just starting out his um his career basically he was only just out of finishing his PhD um not that long before I started and so he was working on cyanobacteria so that's what I did and so yeah so tell us about uh, what what were you researching so um Cyanobacteria bloom in water, so mm -hmm. they um, basically, whenever there's a water system that is has increased levels of things like phosphates and nitrates, then that triggers these cyanobacteria to just overproduce. Um, and so they can produce, some, some of them produce toxins mm -hmm. when they bloom. And so the one that I was working on was um, a strain that, um, it blooms in the Baltic Sea. Um, so if you take a picture of the Baltic Sea from space um, in the summertime, you'll see the bloom from space. It's wow. huge. Yeah. Um, 
but it also blooms in in South Australia where they sometimes get their water supply from um, estuaries, um, lagoons and things like that. Um, and so if you have a um, cattle that are drinking from that water, they can get sick. Right. Um, basically, the toxin affects the liver. Um, and so, and they say that um, people in, um, you know, some of these third world countries actually get high, higher incidences of liver cancer because they're constantly exposed to low levels of these toxins. Mm. So it's... Correct me if I'm wrong, but was it cyanobacteria that were responsible for one of the first major um, extinctions on the planet? Is that right? From producing the oxygen? Because <laughs> they were the first oxygen producers, yeah, they weren't were they? The first yeah, oxygen producers. and when they first produced oxygen, it was a poison for most of the organisms right, right. that were on the planet yeah, the and resulted in mass yep. scale extinction. Yeah, yeah but at so the same time, these little buggers are. <laughs> <laughs> but if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be yeah, here. True. So they were really the trigger for uh, UK. Expand on, yeah, expand on that a bit because I was going to probably ask that question soon. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, I guess uh, cyanobacteria evolved, so they're photosynthetic, and so a byproduct of their photosynthesis is oxygen. And so over time, the oxygen accumulated in the in the atmosphere, um, and then that triggered, I guess, the evolution of aerobic yeah. growth. And, and wasn't it also cyanobacteria that gave us plants, in a sense? Because yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the chloroplasts that are inside plant cells are basically um, cyanobacteria. So the, the plant cell engulfed a, a, a cyanobacteria and then they had a... A means of uh, producing energy through photosynthesis. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. So in your, in your research, you were at that time, you were looking at the, what exactly? So you were dealing with this cyanobacteria. So we were looking at the genetic basis for how the toxins... Are made so at that time um, there wasn't the the mass genome sequencing that that you see today mm. so we were sort of picking out bits of the genome and, and trying to figure out how those toxins were made so um, yeah so that was that okay. was what I was doing my PhD on. and uh, was that your PhD mm. as well so you went yeah I started off doing it in honors right and in honors I was just kind of scoping out the, the species and looking at how different um, different strains that are collected from across the world, how they're related. Mm-hmm. So are the Baltic Sea strains related to the Australian strains? So it turns out that they're all kind of a global, there's no difference really between all of these strains that we see blooming across the world. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So that was my honours. Right. And then I went on in my PhD to look at the the genes specific the genes that make yeah. the toxins and mm. so did you isolate the genes that were involved yeah yeah so i, I sequenced the genes so uh, the nice thing about these genes that they cluster together on the genome so once you find a little piece of it you can kind of sequence around that and mm. then find the entire um, gene cluster is what they they call it mm. right and so yeah. why why was it important to um, find the genes for this particular toxin what 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 utility did that knowledge have well i guess it's this, the first stage of then trying to understand why these toxins are being produced so if you're in the water industry and you want to know um, 
when the bloom is likely to occur, when is it going to be more toxic than other times, mm. um, then it's important to know what, what triggers that production in the cell. So if we can find the genes, then we can look at things like what turns the genes on and off. Mm. Um, and then you can sort of inform the water industry and say, okay, um, you know, when this, you know, whatever is high, then then that's going to increase your chances of a toxic bloom. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay. So oh, how do and, we, and I yeah. guess the other thing is, is that it's good for the water industry to then have that as a tool for genetic testing. So they take a sample of water. Ah, yeah. Is this is this water toxic or not? I can do a quick PCR test, and that tells me, okay, that's that bloom's toxic. Okay, we need to ramp up purification of the water so it doesn't go into into the water supply. Yeah. That's interesting. So then how did you move, transition from cyanobacteria into fungi? <laughs> Can you get a little bit closer? Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, yeah. Um, so how did I go from there? So I, I was in the States for uh, three years and then uh, I was working on uh, other bacteria that produce other molecules. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came back to Sydney got the job here and I was still working on cyanobacteria for a while Mm. Um, but the downside of cyanobacteria is that they grow pretty slowly Mm. Um, so they're they're difficult if you're you know working in a small lab Mm. Uh, so uh, just so happened that a friend of mine contacted me about this project that he wanted to get off the ground and said would you be interested in um, working collaboratively collaboratively (laughs) on it so um yeah so i said okay let's do it so um that's how we started off on the fungi but it's it's related because the compounds that we're looking for in the fungi are made in a similar way to the toxins how the toxins are made in the cyanobacteria so they're very similar in their system yeah can you unpack that a little bit so how, how are they similar okay so basically um, they're all small molecules, so and they're all produced um, as what we call secondary metabolites. So they're not compounds that are essential for the growth of the microbe. They're produced when the microbe is flourishing, and you know they don't re- require their primary growth anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, yes, as I said, they're small molecules, um, and as I mentioned previously, their, their genes are clustered on the genome and they're made not via the ribosome. So the ribosome would normally make proteins and peptides. So these are often peptides or um, sort of fatty acid type molecules mm. and they're made on these huge enzyme systems. So um, the, the these enzymes, they'll select a, an amino acid and incorporate it into a into a small molecule mm. and then there are other enzymes that then modify these small molecules to make them active yeah. um, against their target whatever that target is right okay that's interesting um i suppose what we can while we're on the topic of fungi um we might have some audience members that don't know much about fungi can you mm-hmm. um tell us what it is and um, yeah, let, let's start there before okay. we transition. Yeah, yeah what, what is a fungi? What Most is people a fungi? probably know it's a mushroom, but that's yeah. like yeah, where it stops. Yeah, so, <laughs> okay, so um, fungi are eukary- 
eukaryotic microbes. So they're very similar in their cell structure to us. Okay, so they, um, they, they can be unicellular, they can be um, filamentous, and then sometimes they can grow into things like mushrooms or truffles. Um, so, yeah, that's... So have, most people think that, oh, fungi are plants, <laughs> right? They have, that's not really the case. No, no. So traditionally, I guess they thought that fungi were related to plants and, and fungi are kind of uh, in between the, the plant and the animal kingdom. So, um, yeah, they're sort of in between. They're decomposers naturally in their environment. They're usually decomposing dead material. So mm. that's one of their big ecological kind of benefits in in an ecosystem because that's then becomes food for plants and yeah and things like yeah, that exactly. isn't it so, so in the soil they'll break down the dead plant material that's around and then um, that all has to happen outside the the cell of the fungus because it's it sort of ejects these enzymes to break down the material and humans yeah. technically do that as well, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we release enzymes <laughs> yeah. in our stomach uh, in our sorry intestine that yeah, yeah, yeah. is technically outside our body. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. So, and then you know they take up whatever they need, and then whatever's left over can go in into the soil and feed bacteria, can feed plants. So, um, so plants are actually eating the leftovers of yeah, pretty much yeah. That is interesting. I don't know that. I thought, okay, well, that's that's fascinating. Um, well, I was, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about, um, so besides just decomposing uh, um, dead matter, they're also con- they're connected to trees, um, to the root systems. Yeah. Um, and they not only exchange nutrients, so I think it's nitrogen for glucose or sugars, yep. right? Yeah. But they are also able to connect to different trees at the same time and actually modulate what trees get yeah. what what nutrients. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy stuff, huh? So they they there's like this whole signaling. You know, they can talk to each other through these molecules that signal, you know, to the tree or to other fungi, um, and then. Yeah, they can they can influence their growth, and then so what's interesting as well is that um, I guess it's possible that some of these small molecules that the fungi produce could actually be ta- taken up by the um, the tree and then used as by the tree as a defense mechanism as well. Oh, okay. By the plant, yeah. I should say. The, so it's almost like, in a sense, the immune system of the plants. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 one way of, of protecting itself. That's yeah. A, um, is that like similar to how uh, microorganisms are in a way connected to our immune system as well? In that, that yeah. our like particular microbiota, the microorganisms yep. we have in our gut and things, maintain a particular environment yep. which is hostile to pathogenic um, microorganisms. Yep. yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's it's, well, and that's one thing about microbiology that. Um, since I've been teaching it here, um, I've really seen that we've discovered so much in the microbiology world that yeah. wasn't known when I started teaching here. Mm. And that's amazing to me that that this kind of field is really taking off and we're starting to see things like this, that mm. yeah. how important they are in, in a human's immune system, in a plant's 
biology um, in an ecosystem. It's, it's almost yeah. like we're the um, we're just the machines that we the are. microbes are using <laughs> to carry them around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. I think it's even. I don't, know, I, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think the number of microbiological cells that we have in our bodies is the same as the number of cells that actually have our genome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, so they say that... Um, they, they weigh less because the cells are actually smaller. Yeah. But in but terms of sheer numbers... It's something like a, a couple of... Maybe a, a kilo or... Of, of our body is microbes or maybe yeah. more yeah i can't rem- yeah. yeah i can't remember the numbers either but yeah. yeah it's pretty crazy i think the ratio is like 10 or 100 to 1 i think that's what they thought it used to be is it more but no 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 i think it's actually there. yeah they work out it's actually pretty important. yeah there was a, an original estimate and then now the scientists are saying oh maybe that's kind of a bit over the top but yeah, yeah. I think even if the same is quite amazing <laughs> yeah yeah 50 percent of you isn't you yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty amazing that's crazy well we had um dr allison moore and she does some work with i was gonna say feces but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit yeah. yeah and and it's just uh, amazing how important just the gut health is that brain to gut to brain um, connection that some people who have issues actually get fecal transplants yeah yeah that's that's a a really big thing at the moment it's pretty amazing so um, the bacteria in your in your gut can help to send signals to your brain it can um, yeah so if you're if you're gut microbiota is not right then you can mm. you can try to fix it by transplanting different microbes in there yeah, yeah. i wonder if you if you'd know this but is it that the bacteria are producing certain neurotransmitters or they are stimulating the production of neurotransmitters by working with the the nerve cells that are around the, the gut system so, so the, what he's asking is this, so if the neurotransmitters are coming yeah, from yeah. the bacteria or if they're just stimulating like the neurons in that system my I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure yeah. on this, but my understanding is, is that they produce molecules that are the, the, the same structure as, as neurotransmitters. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, we were thinking that the other day. But maybe we can move on a little bit because we've talked about, we talked about the good and bad of cyanobacteria um, and, and we've talked about the good of fungi, but yep. there's also quite a lot of pathogenic yeah. fungi, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so for humans and in agriculture. Which yeah. Is, yeah, so that's where this project really stems from, is that, um, I mean, a lot of the, the infections that we get as humans are bacterial, but if you have something going on with your body, um, if your immune system is low for whatever reason, then you're um, more prone to get fungal infections Um, but in agriculture um, plants are very um, prone to fungal diseases so we see a lot of fungal diseases in agriculture and they can be a problem. Sorry a little bit of a tangent I'm just quizzing you a lot today but (laughs) but by any chance would plants be more prone to fungal infection because they have that close relationship with fungi so their their systems are designed to have a close relationship with fungi so it leaves a niche for other fungi to be pathogenic yeah i think so i think that that's probably it and they're in an environment where they're um you know they're interacting with them Hmm. more closely yeah whereas our immune systems are are pretty good at keeping them at bay Hmm. and Hmm. yeah 
Um, okay, so let's transit. Just speaking about pathogenic fungi, um, I've had. No, this is probably gross to say, but I've had. <laughs> <laughs> so, hang on. <laughs> I'll get the like beat button ready. <laughs> um, so I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and that's skin on skin contact. It's wrestling, grappling, yeah. and I've had ringworm. Yeah. Um, I've caught it from people. Yeah. And that is a pain to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. Can you t talk about like some of the difficulties of treating things like um, uh, fungi, pathogenic fungi in relation to human beings? If, if yeah. So uh, we talked before about how um, fungi are kind of bet sort of very similar to plants and also similar to, to animals in their, in their basic biology. And so when you treat a bacterial infection, you are targeting a part of the bacteria that is very, um, very different from the human cell. Mm. So bacteria and, and human biology is very different. So you can make drug targets that, that are very specific to bacteria. But they have no impact on humans. But yeah, yeah, but they don't hurt humans yeah. because there's no similar system in the human cell. So with fungi, their biology is very similar to our biology. So if you ta take a drug that, you know, might target a pathway in the fungi, there's a very good chance that you have a similar pathway mm. in the human cell. And so um, you can find fungal-specific drugs, mm. but they have a higher chance of being toxic to the human cells. Mm, yeah. So... Um, yeah, so they are often very difficult to treat. They're definitely a pain. Is that also the case because you said earlier that fungi are, um, you know, in the midway point between plants and animals? Is that also the, the case with plants as well, where if you try to treat them more often than not, you'll actually, because there are analogous systems in, yeah. the, in the plant cells, you'll have a toxic effect on the plants? Yeah, I, um, I think so. Um, I guess my understanding of, of that side of things is is not as good, mm. um, but yeah, I think I guess we're a bit more sensitive though to you know to a toxic side effect. Whereas mm. you know you might put a fungicide on a plant and it might make the plant a little bit sick, but mm. it's not as bad as it getting the disease. Because they are, so, I think fungi are more closely related to animals than plants, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, you, there's a possibility we would have that overlap, but, um, yeah, like I said, we're more sensitive. We don't want to give ourselves a drug that's mm. going to make us sick, but we don't, you know. Right. Um, and also, if, like, a branch of a plant dies, it can grow another one. Yeah. <laughs> if your arm falls off, yeah. see you later, buddy. That's right. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> so true <laughs> there's no replacing that no one cries when the, no. when the plant loses a leaf no <laughs> everyone cries when they lose a pinky yeah. <laughs> uh. um what are some typical targets for um for for fungi um w would you be able to talk about that so oh so um because I know in bacteria, I think it's the cell wall and things like yeah, that. So that, yeah, so in bacteria, it's things like the cell wall, whereas um, in, in fungi, I guess, 
Um, they have their own cell wall, which is different to ours, which is chitin. So mm-hmm. that could be a possible target. But um, there are other targets that target things like um, cholesterol synthesis. Um, um, germination mm. is another one. So there are some right. some targets that we can look at. Right. Um, let's talk about rust and your current research. Mm-hmm. Can you give us... Um, well, we, we heard you talk about it during the research development showcase, and that was really interesting. Uh, give us a background on rust and, and how your research fits into that, please. Okay. So um, rust is a, a fungal pathogen so it's an obligate parasite on plants and what's an obligate parasite (laughs) it means that it can only grow on a plant yeah so the only way it survives is by being a parasite being a parasite living off plants yeah yeah, which means that if you want to grow it in the lab you have to grow a plant Mm. yeah so that makes life a bit difficult sometimes um but it it grows on a lot of agricultural plants. So um, we're looking at um, cereals like wheat, oat, barley, things like that. But it can. there are other strains that can grow on things like coffee and other agricultural oh. plants as well. Yeah. And in Australia, we also have a problem with... Um, it's sort of just sort of come about that now there are strains in Australia that affect eucalyptus, so myrtle plants... Um, so eucalyptus being one of them, um, and so you can parasitize those as well. So it must be pretty important then to treat if it's a big part of a problem in the agricultural industry. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. A lot of money. What can I just ask? Why is it an obligate? Um, why is it such a parasite that without the plant it can't survive? I guess it's just the way that it grows. It's just its survival mechanism is that. Um, it's just the niche it, it fell yeah, into by accident. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so in order to survive, it has to penetrate the, the cells of the plant leaves or the plant stem, whatever it's It's similar, I guess, into a sense like viruses yeah. are even more specific yeah. where they don't yeah. even, they, they be, might be for one organism, but they um, it's like one cell type even yeah. sometimes in that yeah. organism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So So it's basically outsourcing a particular... Uh, function that it can't perform itself yeah and that's why it's obligate yeah okay um uh so yeah so it's it's a it's a huge cost obviously to the agriculture um agricultural uh uh economy now um how does your so what are you doing in particular well how sorry how is that usually treated maybe we can go there first how does how are we dealing with rust now so there's a couple of ways um so the they can treat them with fungicides Mm-hmm. So that costs the weed industry about, I don't know, $140 million a year to treat with fungicide. But they also um, ha- can breed strains of the plant itself that are resistant to the rust. Mm-hmm. So um, what they do is they survey the rust that's um, you know in the environment at the time and then they look at which plant strains are going to have some resistance to that rust and so if they see that the rust is changing then they they're always kind of testing it to make sure that the what they're planning in the field is going to be a strain that that is resistant 
Just as a few rest. few problems with that though, because then you've got to try and one predict yeah. what the strains are going to be, and then I'm guessing plant breeding like that is incredibly slow, yeah. unless it's genetically modified, in which it's particularly no. controversial <laughs> and expensive. No. no, so they 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 cross yeah cross breed the strains, and then and then yeah. the ones that are that are resistant. So I guess that presents a need to kind of come up with. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's okay when everything's going to plan, um, but then occasionally there'll be a new strain of rust that will somehow develop, and it will um, it'll kind of knock everyone for a six, and then they'll have to you know they'll lose their crops for that year, mm. and so um, and then they go back to the drawing board. It's kind of like the the vaccines for the flu, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they, they've always got to be one step ahead of the flu and mm. they've got to know what strain's going around the world. Mm. And when it comes to Sydney, they give us a particular vaccine and it, the flu might evolve into a different form mm. and then nobody's covered by that vaccine mm. anymore. Right. Um, and so in, with, what are you doing with your research in, the, in, that, in that context? So what's kind of interesting is that there are strains of fungi that are actually parasites of the rust parasite. So we call them hyperparasites yeah. because they're parasites of parasites. And so what it's they just do... turtles all the way down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So um, sometimes these hyperparasites just start to grow on a... On a on a leaf that has rust on it, mm. and we see that the rust dies. And so um, my collaborators were interested in, in how these hyperparasites actually um, reduce the growth or, or kill these, these rust parasites. Mm. Um, and so that kind of is where it came full circle for me, is that I was interested in these small molecules I thought, okay, well, what small molecules are being produced by these hyperparasites that might be involved in, you know, killing yeah. the rust? Mm. So then to grow the hyperparasites, you have to grow a plant to no. grow the rust to <laughs> grow that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a real pain. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, luckily for us, they, they're not obligate oh, parasites. If they were, we wouldn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we just we just grow them on acre plates and yeah. we're good to go. Oh, that's good. Yeah. How? Sorry, I was just going to ask. This. We'll come back to that point. Um, who found out that these these fungi actually affect the rust? Was it your you and your collaborators or someone earlier? No, I think that they've been discovered. You know, quite a number of years ago. I don't know when they were first discovered. It was probably farmers. Yeah, maybe. Pretty cluey farmers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's just something that's floating around in the environment mm. just is lucky that it can land there and, and yeah. start to eat the, pa eat the rust. Right. And how effective is this fungi at killing the rust? It's, it's, very, it's, it's very efficient, mm -hmm. so it can kill the rust. Um, but in order to be able to take the next step and say, oh, let's use it as a biocontrol, um, it's not that, I don't think it's that efficient at going from one rust pustule to the next. So mm. rust kind of grows as a little pustule. So it's like uh. a little, you know, pile of rust, mm. a little rust spot. On so the, I can't on jump from one of those little pustules to a <laughs> yeah, different pustule. Yeah, so what you have to do is be able to spread the, 
the hyperparasite evenly on the yeah. on the plant, or somehow you know get the the plant and the hyperparasite to make some kind of a relationship, symbiotic relationship, so that it kind of is nice and covering the plant. So I guess um, that's where working out what the chemical is that's responsible yeah. comes in because then you can develop that chemical, possibly synthetically produce it and yeah. distribute it as, uh, as a, a pesticide. Yeah, is that right? a pesticide, yeah. but I guess we well, It's herbicide for plant and is yeah. it a pesticide for yeah. fungus? Yeah, yeah okay. a fungicide. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually listened to a great... Um, podcast called talking biotech with yeah. uh dr kevin falter i think he's from the university of florida mm-hmm. and um and he does because he's a, a plant biologist i think he works with strawberries but he does heaps of great stuff about crops and, yeah. and plant science and yeah yeah they've, they've looked at, at using um mycoparasites so parasites that that kill um fungi um they've looked at using those as biocontrol in the in the strawberry mm. industry mm. so you can can kind of inoculate your strawberries with this mycoparasite and it kills off all of the yeah, yeah. That's, uh, so the fungi. A, a, one thing that comes to mind is um <clears throat> do you think why that's valuable to go and characterize the the, the compound w- would it be an issue besides you know going from one nodule to another would it be a biohazard to just let these fungi out in the wild to treat the rust is it going to be like one of those what's the the cane toad yeah Yeah, that's the other thing where i think in australia we're a bit um bit hesitant Mm. of the biocontrol so if this is a naturally produced fungi anyway then yeah it's it's a natural fungi in the environment but i guess it's, it's it's one step from you know if you have to like spray it onto a field that's that's kind of a bit scary, I think. Mm. Um, um, so how far are you into this project? Have you managed to characterize um, the molecule? Do you guys know the mechanism of, act, mechanism of action? How far are you into this project? So we're just in the baby stages. <laughs> so we, um, we've sequenced the genome of the strains and we've, we've isolated a couple of compounds. Mm. Um, we're still in the process of confirming the structure, so we're not quite there yet. And our next stage is to look at the mechanism of action, and particularly because we need to know, okay, is it going to have an effect on human cells? Mm. Is it going to have an effect on plant cells? Mm. Um, So if we want to use it as any kind of a, you know, agricultural compound or Mm. whatever, we need to know how it's going to affect other organisms. So you, you said you isolated the compound, and that compound you've demonstrated actually kills the, the rust? Yep. Oh, okay. And yep. um, I guess uh, the one further really exciting possibility is uh, if, if you find out the mechanism of action, there's some potential there to either use the same, exploit the same mechanism or similar mechanisms yeah. and treat things like Hamid's um ringworm ring <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so once you have you know what the target is yeah you can definitely exploit it and yeah. i guess the thing is is that um a lot of the the antibacterial drugs that we take are based on natural products so mm. these are you know already being produced by a fungus and then we take it and then we use it as a drug but mm. um often those 
compounds are synthetically modified. So penicillin comes from a fungus, but then it's been synthetically modified to make it a better drug for mm, humans. Similar with aspirin, I think, isn't it? It comes from tree bark, yeah. but then it's yeah. been actually modified because if yeah. you just eat the tree bark, you get really sick. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, I guess that's another stage as well. You can look at how can we chemically modify it to make it more suitable as a mm. fungicide or, yeah. or an antifungal drug. Um, are you taking master's students and PhD students at the moment? I definitely am. Come and see me if you're interested in, in this kind of stuff. And, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we're getting... Um, we, my current uh, master's student is, is getting ready to finish up, so looking for some fresh blood. Ah, awesome. <laughs> so what type of projects do you have available? Do you have any, any specific ones in mind or do you develop that with a student or...? Um, I guess sometimes it's developed with the student, but I guess, you know, what we just talked about, you know, looking at mechanism of action. But yeah. I'm also interested in whether these fungi produce other compounds that can be, you know, so from our genetic analysis, we know that they can produce a lot more compounds. Um, and what they do, we don't know. So, mm. you know, we've only just really looked for antifungals but there might be antibacterials in there there might be antivirals mm. there, there could be a whole range of compounds with different activities so so the potential is big yeah. getting on yeah. it <laughs> yeah. cool uh well thank well, thank yeah. you so much for your time michelle we really enjoy the yeah, conversation been a great conversation yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no hit, worries thanks hit for michelle up you can find the details if you can't find it don't do research <laughs> 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 <Right by. laughs> thanks a lot michelle